Hmm. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Freedom Guide. We took a break for the holidays. We wanted to kind of give you guys a chance to refresh, reset, and what do you know? We're back again. It's January 2022. There's a lot to be done in the fight against the radical left to save this country. And I know you're listening to this podcast because we are solutions-oriented. We are helping you become a more understanding and knowledgeable person about the fight that's ahead. And today, we're doing one of my favorite topics, something that is so important and so basic, and again, so important for us to understand as we move forward in this fight for the future of the country. Um, one note, there's a lot of people that <laughs> they, they think they're like taking the high road by saying, oh, politics is all left versus right these days, and, and I'm just in the middle. I'm just giving my good old American opinion. We need to unite again. Totally get you. Totally get you. First thing that I want to address with that is that for centuries, Americans have been on a foundation of classical liberalism, which is basically the, the principles in our Bill of Rights, classical liberalism and economic independence, capitalism. Those two principles have been truly the values of the West, the values that have made America from its start to now the greatest country the world has ever seen, okay? The, the utmost level of freedom that you can achieve it's all here in America. It's for a reason. It's because all sides used to stand on this foundation together. But today, we see this rise of people that have rejected human history and the lessons we should learn there, specifically from the 20th century. They are distorting America's founding. And for some ungodly reason, maybe that's the answer right there, ungodly, for some ungodly reason, they are choosing to embrace ideas that lead to oppression of others totalitarianism, authoritarianism, as in force, not choice, the government, some entity above you, forcing you to do something which is the epitome of un-American. And they believe in non-independence for when it comes to the economy. They do not believe individuals should have freedom and independence in this way. They believe in socialism, which is only the economic step of capitalism, when the government owns and controls the means of production. So these people are insanely dangerous for the future of the country. They are on the rise. They are well-funded. They are well-organized. And when I go after the lefties, I'm going after these people that want to upend our American system. So don't think that I'm attacking some person on the, the left side of politics just because they want to increase taxes a little bit. I'm fine with those people. Honestly, we probably agree on 80% of the issues. That's not who we're really focusing on. We are focusing on the people that are trying to ruin this country, that want to see it brought down, and that would honestly do some things to us if they had their own choice. I mean, these are, these are people that believe in gulags, in re-education camps, in the elimination of people that think like us, of of, of any thought that opposes them. So dangerous, dangerous people that look up to dangerous people from the past. That's who we're really after here. So, so if you think you're taking the moral high ground by saying, oh, Morgan is so divisive for saying she's going after one side of the country, I'm not going after 50% of Americans. I'm going after a very small but powerful and growing faction that we're going to talk about. Other thing we want to talk about today, though, after that little side rant that I just had. The big lesson here today is going to be about the factions of the radical left. The factions of the left. And that's where we're going to get started. 
All right, so when it comes to understanding the factions of the left, there's some basic things that we've got to address. But first, I think it's smarter for us to start with the action item of the episode today. Action item of the episode is going to be that each faction of a political group deserves and not only deserves, requires a different, unique style of communication, an approach to communication. If you don't understand that or accept that and actually implement that in your own communication approaches, you're wasting time, money, resources, and you're not being as effective as possible. So to kind of get into being effective in communication, I want to tell a little story. So when I first started the nonprofit, Young Americans Against Socialism, I was being a little coy with the name and I just if this was as AOC was coming to power, this is as the squad was kind of a new thing and democratic socialism was all over the news. And so people would meet me and be like, oh, you're a good millennial. You're against socialism. I can't believe it. I've never met one of you. And so I was just coyly naming it that because I thought it was interesting that people didn't even know young people were out there that were against these ideas. So I did that and now it's actually grown into a whole organization. So I am very much considering (laughs) rebranding so that uh, I can grow old and not be a young American against socialism that's not young anymore. Uh, So when I was starting this organization, though, I really wanted to figure out how we can be most effective in our approach, how we can reach as many people as possible, and how we can actually have an impact, not just go viral, because we were easily able to do that. I mean, we we had one video that interviewed a survivor of communi- of communist Cuba, windsurfed across the ocean for t- 10 hours over 90 miles, and that video that we made got 25 million views on Facebook. So pretty easy for me to go out and, and tell the whole world, we got millions of views on our video against socialism. Will you donate to us and give us money? That seems like a simple process, right, for a nonprofit, but to me it's just, are we really building... A coalition there? Are we changing any minds? And what is the audience of these millions of people? If if 25 million people are watching it on Facebook, how long were they watching the video? And how many people of that demographic were young people that thought about socialism as a good thing and now changed their mind? How many were older, maybe boomer age and decided, I want to support these young people after? So it's different demographics. It's hard to just judge your effectiveness based on how many millions of views you get on content. So I really like to, with a hard thing like this, where it's hard to judge who's effective, who's not, I judge it on tactics and communication techniques. So I was looking into it and I saw a study from Michigan State University It said the most effective way to reach a young person with an opposing viewpoint or with a hard to understand topic that uh, they needed to not only just memorize, but straight up understand, comprehend not only the basics of it, but why it impacts them, why it impacts the people around them and what kind of impact it has on the world around them and the future. The most effective way to communicate about these topics to young people is hearing it via peer, not via parent or professor. And so the research from Michigan State, I think they deemed it peer rationale, peer-to-peer communication. And I took that and I ran with it. I said, okay, if peer-to-peer communication is the most effective way to reach a young person, then we're going to be very casual with our communication. We're going to speak as peers and we're going to try and reach people on their own levels. Uh, So I hope, first of all, that's a good lesson for you guys. Take that out there. It's a burden to have it on our shoulders in one way because it's like, oh boy, so we are the most effective communicators. We better not screw this up. But to me, it's exciting, it's inspiring, and it's empowering to know that if I go out there and use my voice, it is truly the most effective 
way that we can change hearts and minds, especially young ones about a tough topic like socialism, communism, that's being distorted in our classrooms, in media and pop culture, all that stuff. So I hope that excites you guys. I hope it gives you energy moving forward to know that you can be the most effective way to solve this. But that being said, uh, that's only one thing. That's only one thing that we need to understand, this idea of peer rationale. When it comes to the different factions of the left, like we'll talk about today, there's a lot of different things we have to understand about these groups, what they care about, what their focuses are, and who they even are, so that we aren't communicating to an AOC type the way we would communicate to maybe a Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer type. You get me? Let's get started. Okay, so first thing we've got to cover before we get into the actual examples of factions on the leftist side of politics, what the heck is a faction? What the heck is a faction when we're talking about politics? So think of uh, an entity, a group of people that all have one specific goal. They have one common political purpose, but a faction within that group of people with one common political purpose, they might have a more specific reason why they're in the group, or they might have a more specific uh, passion that brings that smaller group within the larger entity together. And that's its own little faction. Uh, my favorite example of factions in, in all of history is the factions that they were worried about back during the, the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. So in 1787, when they were writing the Federalist Papers, now, even today, one of the most popular Federalist Papers of the 85 that were written when trying to convince the American people to ratify the Constitution is Federalist Paper Number 10, which has to do with preventing factions, different groups of people in the country from building enough animosity that encourages them to end up fighting because human history has proven humans will fight over very frivolous things. And so our founders were wondering, how do we get these different factions of people in America to cooperate and to work for one common goal that would be America instead of dividing into little states or little confederacies and then fighting each other the way Europe did for centuries, centuries, centuries. Uh, and their solution was to build the federal government, which brought all of the states together under one federal government and, and had that decentralized power at the state level and the local level. So that was their way of bringing factions together. And it still rings true of, of think of a group of people in California versus a group of people in Texas different ideologies, different views on what government should be in your life, different passions, different career fields, uh, and, and different religious views, all that kind of stuff. When you live a different lifestyle, when you work a different occupation, when you live in a different geographical area, it leads you to having a different lifestyle and a different view on what government should be. And that, as history's proven to us, that alone can lead to people fighting. So how do you encourage people to get together? So that's my favorite example of the factions, that ratification debate back in 1787. But when we're talking about factions today, I think one of the most fascinating examples are the factions of the radical left versus the liberals versus the woke people versus the establishment elites. So basically think of all of the left side of the aisle in American politics, even the middle, we're going to look at all the different groups so that you understand when we're talking to one person on that side, they're, 
you got to learn a little bit about them, do an evaluation of their personality, of where they're coming from, before you try and change their mind, before you try and communicate with them. You've got to do an evaluation and say, where is this person coming from? What do they care about? And where would I group them in, in the factions of the left, so that I can most effectively communicate to them about what they care about, and I can evaluate what kind of threat they are and, and what kind of communication they deserve from me? Is it a waste of time to try and convince this communist to now support economic freedom? Probably. <laughs> so that leads me into our first evaluation of, of the population of the left in America. I think the first really healthy thing for us to do is understand that it's actually not so bad. Okay. And, and hear me out on this. I know it seems crazy. I know you look on social media and you go, oh my gosh, we have basically lost. I know it can seem intimidating, especially when you look at the numbers. So that's what I want to start with first. There's some scary numbers out there, especially with Gen Z and millennials. And they say things like 70% of young Americans would vote for a socialist. Um, that one came from YouGov. They combined a poll with victims of communism. They do a really cool poll every year. 70% of my generation said they would vote for a socialist if they had the opportunity to. Okay, and that was like 2020, 2019, I can't remember. So that number right alone, a little scary, right? But here's the thing. First thing on this, I need you to ask yourself, how many of those people, that 70%, want to seize the means of production? How many do you honestly think of the 70% of young people that say they want socialism, do you really think they want to seize the means of production? Nationalize industry. And then I want you to ask yourself, how many of those people probably have heard that term before? Seizing the means of production or nationalizing major industry. Let's be honest, you guys, it's not a lot. And that's a good thing because it's like, okay, that means 70% of, of the upcoming leaders in, in this country, the upcoming leading generation, doesn't want communism in America, so that's good. Um, but it's also a bad thing, because it means that our education system has not properly taught them what socialism is if they haven't heard of it before and they would say they want it again. Because if you look at human history, if you look at the 20th century, you would know very, very easily that it doesn't work. It's not going to happen. And instead of looking at everybody and saying... How dumb are you? You want to try socialism? It's never worked before. It's never worked. Instead of just shoving that down their throats, let's understand the bigger problem here. It's not that they are aware that it's never worked before. It's that they've never even heard these terms before. We're not taught it in the public education system, and they need the information. And I see it as my generation has not only been uh, not given this information, but they are now being lied to, whether that's by the leaving out of this information in the curriculum or the straight-up lies that are being taught in our education system that it's a good thing or a moral thing or different because it's democratic socialism. So I see it as our children, my generation, my peers are being lied to about a very serious, very dangerous topic, and it's not okay. First of all, it's dangerous. And second, my generation deserves better than that. Our youth deserves better than that. They deserve more than that. They deserve the truth. So that's how I see it. And I think the more we approach it as we understand you guys are, I mean, they're pretty much adults now, what is the generation after Gen Z? Do we know that yet? I don't know. But either way, millennials, Gen Z, we trust them to make good decisions with the information presented to them. If it was presented to them, would they be on our side? I'm willing to bet yes, but they just haven't gotten that information. So that's the first thing. When you see these crazy numbers out there, 
understand what we're dealing with. Do you really think they want socialism? Have they even heard the term before? Or are they being used as useful idiots? And we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay, so that's that first lesson from the big YouGov polls, the, the insane numbers that we're seeing from Gallup and the rest of them. The second lesson here is, you guys, an amazing number was also featured in this poll from Gallup that, or from YouGov that said 70% of my generation would vote for a socialist. 70% of young Americans say they would vote for a socialist, right? In that same population that was asked, only 5 to 6% of young Americans said they trust the government. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, for me, that I'm like, fireworks are going off in my head because I'm like, oh my gosh, that perfectly explains the problem. So not only do they probably have no idea what socialism is and they've never heard the terms before, the proper economic definitions, but they don't trust the government. Only five to 6% of young people trust the government. Are you kidding me? So why would they support the economic system that gives all control of goods, services, everything to the government? Oh, you're probably starting to put the dots together that they just simply have no idea what socialism actually is. And if we connected the dots that the government they don't trust is the same government that would be controlling all of their things. It's not going to be controlled by the people. It's not going to be controlled by the collective, by the community. That's what the left says, right? They say it's collective ownership, community ownership, um, ownership by the people. Classic leftist language, but we have to make sure that these young people understand when it's owned collectively, that is leftist manipulated language, to just say it's owned by the people in name only and it is controlled by the government in the name of the people, totally different, okay? So that's that, very positive, you know what I mean? Like I'm excited, whenever I see these numbers and break them down, I go, okay, we're really working with some, what is it, what's the term? We're cooking with peanut oil now? That, that's what we're doing. Um, but we're not doing what they do with the turkey when they put the turkey in the, the thing and the deep fryer and then it explodes on Thanksgiving. We're not doing that. I mean, honestly, maybe that's actually a better metaphor. Okay, we're going off the rails now. So when it comes to this infighting that's going on in the left, we aren't really involved. I mean, it, it's not like they are trying to take out the conservatives, the freedom lovers. Yes, they, their policies impact us and they, they go against our values and our policies that we would like to see. But there is huge infighting that needs to be monitored by us that's taking place between the AOC types and the Nancy Pelosi types. And so we'll talk more about the actual groups that are going up against each other, the funding that's going in, the tactics that they're using in the next episode, but it's important for us to understand when looking at people that are trying to gain power, when looking at the talking points of someone, when evaluating what's going on in DC or in our own homes, what the heck is this person trying to achieve? Are they a Nancy Pelosi type or an AOC type is the first question to really ask. Uh, and it's, it's usually pretty easy once you do a little digging, you know what I mean? But we'll get more into that another time. Now, I should also say when you have Nancy Pelosi, people are like, well, Morgan, Nancy Pelosi's just as bad. I totally get it. Okay. The elite establishment, liberal or conservative, you know what I mean? On the right, they're just as bad in so many ways, but we are looking at this as the rise of the radical leftism in this country. And with that, the threat is coming from the replacement of Nancy Pelosi types with the AOC types in positions of power, in positions of influence. 
That's what you and I need to be monitoring specifically for this issue. Now you could get me on a rant about how bad the elite establishment is on both sides and, and the cronyism that's taking place and the insider stock trading that goes on with people like Pelosi. That's a whole topic for another day. It's important for us to understand. But again, when we're looking at the rise of the radical left, they are on the rise, not because they're attacking conservatives, not because they're you know eliminating us in, in campaigns. They're going after primaries because they want to change the people in positions of power that are always going to be on the blue side. They're trying to replace the Nancy Pelosi types with the AOC types because it's a totally different ideology. When we look at Nancy Pelosi, again, no excuse for her behavior. But at the end of the day, you guys, she's always been on the, the more capitalist side. Like I said, Americans have usually always been on this foundation of economic independence and classical liberalism. And that's pretty much where Nancy Pelosi has always been. It's weird because now things are just totally insane with all this COVID stuff. But for the most part, we have to look at her as a usual lib. Very corrupt establishment lib, but I digress. So next up, I, this deserves its own little group now because I used to just not know what the heck to do with these people, but they're their own little mob now. Uh, it's the woke people, okay? It's the wokest. It's it's the totalitarian arm of the rise of the radical left. These people, again, have no idea what, what socialism is, and they probably don't know what it means to seize the means of production. But honestly, they... They could, couldn't care less about economics. They are so focused on making sure that you introduce yourself with your pronouns and use their correct pronouns and, and f comply with their weird sexuality education curriculum in classrooms to even care about the economics of a policy. Okay, you see what I mean? The woke people are the cultural arm and, and they are truly totalitarian. I always think of, of college campuses as the little breeding grounds for totalitarianism in America. Totalitarianism, and we'll talk about this in a future episode where we do the three pillars of communism, which are authoritarianism, socialism, and um, totalitarianism. Did I say all three of those? Authoritarianism, socialism, totalitarianism lead to communism. Um, we'll talk about totalitarianism in greater detail in the future. Totalitarians do not believe in allowing speech or political thought or political action. Honestly, sometimes political existence or existence of people that disagree with them, that go against their claims and their power. They are totalitarian. Only their way can be. And so they're the book burners. If you think about it, we're going through a lot of that right now. They're the censorship people. They're the ones that put out propaganda. They're the ones that put out mass media campaigns that are completely false. They're very dangerous in their own way. And I think it's important for us to separate them from the people that are maybe trying to pass the Green New Deal because they think that capitalism is evil. There's a huge difference now between like the LGBTQIA mafia and the Green New Deal people that are worried about climate change. They have different views. Some people think capitalism is ruining the planet and ending the planet in 10 years. And then the, the mafia over here with all the alphabet, they want you to be put in like censorship jail and removed from your position and of power or your job if you misgender them. So, so we're dealing with two different groups here and I think it's really important for us to understand those are different. So I added that in. I know it's not really related to um, 
economics and socialism and stuff. But man, those people are scary. And also the problem is people think, oh, those crazy college kids, they'll grow up and they'll, they'll realize what the real world is. No, no, no. These people are graduating. They are not maturing. They are not changing their mind. The little totalitarians on campuses are graduating and then they are going into their positions of power and employment, whether that's in the military or in big tech companies or in the bureaucracy or in just corporate America, and they are bringing their crazy ideas with them and they are implementing this stuff throughout the country. So something for us to consider. And that brings me to the last group that I want to talk to you guys about today. And, and I know there are smaller factions, there are other factions I'm probably leaving out, but these are the ones that I really want you to understand when we're considering evaluating how you communicate and understand somebody that you're approaching uh, with your own communication tactics. The last one are these poor, useful idiots. And we talked about them a little bit. This is a historic term, I, I believe it's traced back to like Lenin, where it's the young people that have no idea what they're really advocating for. They have no idea what they're talking about, no idea what they're doing, but oh boy, are they being used and abused by the people in power who are trying to use them to gain power, more power, and, and carry out their way. Lenin referred to them as this, and we see them all over the place in America today. Like I said earlier, most people that say they want socialism, especially the ones my age, have no idea what it means to seize the means of production. And that's the definition of socialism. Most of them, if they were shown the information, I highly doubt that they would be on the side of the radical left. I highly doubt that they would be the saying that they would vote for a socialist. I highly doubt that they would want to give up their own economic independence. But unfortunately, our public education system failed them. Parents for multiple generations naively depended on, relied on the public education system to properly teach our kids about government, which why would government teach generations that government and more government and more government spending and more government power is bad? That was a big mistake there that we just assumed that would happen. Um, and I think it's time for us to really adjust our thoughts on education. It's up to us, it's up to families and communities to make sure the young minds of the future uh, leaders are going to be properly educated, that properly prepared for the future. We can't leave it up to government schools. And when we do, we end up with useful idiots that are used by the radical left to promote their narrative and, and help them gain more and more power. So it's a real shame. It's a historic term. I hope you guys look up useful idiots. But when we look at someone, and I, I would never say that people falling for it are useful idiots. I'm only using that term because it's what was used by leftists to describe the people they would use. But it's these naive young people that have such good intentions and they really want to help people. They want, they see poverty and they're sad and they want to end it. And so they're told that capitalism is the cause of it instead of understanding because they weren't taught in school that when capitalism began to be implemented, economic independence began to be implemented and spread with the start of America and then especially with the Industrial Revolution, 90% of worldwide poverty just ended. The start and rise of capitalism and the Industrial Revolution ended 90% of worldwide poverty over the last 100 years. And so we have such a small amount compared to what we used to have when you look at comparative history, human history. But unfortunately, my generation, we live in such luxurious times. Now we see any form of poverty and our hearts break and we say capitalism is evil. We need to try socialism because it's what the socialists are saying. It's, it's the good moral thing to do. And they're falling for it hard because they were not properly taught the history of socialism and communism. 
So it's the little things like that where if we understand where, where certain people are coming from, and by this I specifically mean the young people that have the best intentions sometimes, and they have big hearts, and they, they really care and they want to help others, they want to protect the planet, they care about Mother Earth, and they want to end poverty, and they want, I mean, the healthcare system is in shambles. I, w- I want to fix it too. I just don't think the government is the best solution. How do we talk to them about that? And of course, the student loan situation. Nobody is connecting the dots to young people that it's the government causing the rising cost of college. So it's all these little things where if we started to connect the dots between government and the problems that we face today versus the problems we face today, their solutions and how that those solutions are probably not connected to government, I think we'll be in a really great place. My ask for you with this action item of, of understanding your enemy, of, of properly communicating and, and not talking to all of them the same, first of all, don't waste your time with a communist. If, if they are somebody who has red marks, who truly will tell you we need to seize the means of production, I call them a flat earther of economics. I, I won't stand for it. I won't waste my time because they've looked at two dozen examples of socialism being attempted in human history, the devastation and suffering that that has caused. And they truly in their hearts are like, yeah, I think we should try it again. <laughs> I, I will not waste my time because I think they're dangerous. What I will spend my time doing is making sure that they never get enough influence to bring that to America. Okay. You should probably do the same. Now, don't waste your time on those communists because it's a waste. That being said, maybe you're talking to a young person and they say they think socialism is a good idea. They've, they've heard it worked in, in Nordic Europe before. Okay, well, probably explain to them that Nordic Europe still has a capitalist economy, a private economy where individuals have economic power, but they have massive taxes and large government programs. The government hasn't seized the means of production like they have in countries like Venezuela. And that's what the radical left in America is advocating for. So those are two different economic systems. They are not the same. Explaining to them as adults, instead of saying, well, why don't we just ship you off to Cuba and then you can learn that socialism is a bad thing. You naive young person, idiot. (laughs) You see how that doesn't really work? And I see it on social media all the time of just making fun of young people that say they want to try democratic socialism. Let's hear out why they want to try it. Let's try and explain to them certain situations and let's try to talk to them with that peer-to-peer communication approach, that peer rationale approach. I think that'll be a great way for us to move forward. I'm sorry if this was a a lot in one episode. It's a topic that I I talk about a lot and so I can really rant on this one. Um, But I hope... but I hope it informed you guys. I hope you're excited for next episode where we talk about the actual names of these different groups, their funding sources, their actual organization that they have in terms of structure and the efforts and the campaigns that they have. Cause it gets really crazy when you start like deep diving. Um, but it's, this is right up my alley. This is my bread and butter and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. And thank you for caring enough to listen and learn and uh, better yourself. It's the best way to fix this country. See you guys next week. Hey guys, it's Morgan Zeggers, and if you needed a little reminder, freedom is a lifestyle. The Freedom Guide is here to provide you with resources and information and guidance on how to live out those values that you have that are rooted in freedom. That's what it's going to take to save this country. So thank you for listening. We hope to see you next week, and be sure to follow us on our Instagram page, The Freedom Guide to join into this great community that is growing of active Americans that want to participate and be a part of this fight to preserve, first of all, to save and protect and then preserve our country for generations to come. God bless.